0: Day to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to begin a brand new study in the book of Romans today. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to establishedinthefaith.com and if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now, picking it up in Romans chapter 1 and verse 1 again today. Hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. Let's begin again tonight in Romans chapter 1 with verse 1, Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Last week, we looked at the apostle Paul. He was born and raised in the city of Tarsus, which was an educational city. It was the home of a well-known university. Paul, being born and raised in that city, uh, went to that particular university. He sat at the feet of a man by the name of Gamaliel. And being in that type of environment, he was exposed to a lot of religious leaders of that day religious leaders who were opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ and you have to understand that Paul was born basically about the same time that Jesus was born and there's no record that Paul ever met the Lord or saw him or whatever the case but there were a lot of people that did see the Lord and there were a lot of people who were opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ and Being under the influence of those religious leaders, he said in Acts chapter 26, in verse 9. Acts 26, verse 9. Paul said, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And Paul got letters from the high priest and he was going down into Damascus to get any of those that were called Christians, arrest them, and take them back to Jerusalem. That was his plan. And the Lord changed his plans. The Lord, the Bible says that a great light shall uh, shine round about him. Haven, if you'll go to Acts chapter 9 that a light shined round about him. And in verse 4 of Acts chapter 9, the Bible says that he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said unto him, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do, The moment that Paul uttered those words, he was saved, and he became a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul said, uh, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, the Greek word for servant is doulos, and it means a servant or a slave, one who is the entire property of another. A servant would serve his master in total disregard of his own interest, and his will was swallowed up in the will of his master. Whatever his master wanted him to do, that's what he would do. And, you know, when you think of a slave, we think of something that's unfortunate. We think of a person that's being treated like an animal, a person that is being forced to do things that they really don't want to do. But living for the Lord, being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, is not like that at all. It's a 180-degree difference being a servant of the Lord. Haven, if you will, go to Revelation chapter 22. We just finished up our study in the book of Revelation. But just a few weeks ago, as we were studying the 22nd chapter of Revelation, we run across something there, and I just want to mention it here while we're talking about serving the Lord. Revelation 22, verse 3. Revelation 22, verse 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants... "...shall serve him, and they shall see his face. And his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light." And notice this, "...and they shall reign forever and ever." Notice that. Now, servants, as we normally think of such do not rule and reign with their master. Their master is the head honcho. He gives the orders and they do um, what is asked of them to do. But serving the Lord is not like that at all. When you serve the Lord Jesus Christ as master, he wants us to rule and reign right beside him, right along with him. Now, some of you would say, well, now, Brother James, that is in the perfect age which is to come. And you're right. That's why I got another verse of Scripture I want you to go to. Go to Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Luke nine twenty-three. It's a Scripture that I've quoted to you many times. And Jesus said unto them all, If any man will come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. When you take the word follow back to the original Greek, it means to be in the same way as or to accompany. When Jesus said, take up the cross daily and follow me, he's basically saying, come accompany me. You know, when we think of follow, we think of the Lord being in the front as the big chief, and we're the little peons following behind him and doing whatever, but that's not what the Lord was saying. He was saying, come follow me. He was saying, you come up abreast with me, walk beside me. Uh, be right there with me that's what it means to serve the lord when you become a servant of the lord he treats you like a friend not you're lower than me and i'm i'm the big chief and you're the little peon he treats you like a friend haven hey, go to john 15 john 15 verse 13. John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Now that sounds like a servant. But he goes on to say, Henceforth I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. When you're a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ... You're more than just a servant. The Lord treats you just like a friend. And believe me, he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He said in verse 16 there of John 15, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. All of us have a calling and a purpose in life. But before that calling and purpose can be realized in our lives, first of all, we need to get saved. And I believe that every born-again child of God should be serving the Lord or at least desire to be serving the Lord and whatever the case. But Paul said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? His will at that time particular point in time, was swallowed up in the will of his master. He became a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not my will, but thy will be done. If any man come after me, let him deny himself. There's a, 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 to a certain extent, there's a denial of self that has to take place on a daily basis in order for you to have this relationship with the Lord. Now, Paul was called to be an apostle. Um, When the Lord spoke to Ananias, um, Haven, if you will, go back to Acts chapter 9. When the Lord spoke to Ananias and told him to go and lay his hands on Paul and pray that he might receive his sight, he went on to say in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15, He said, Go thy way, for he, speaking of the Apostle Paul, is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now that's what an apostle is. Our English word ambassador best describes it. Um, it's one who is sent on a commission and given the credentials and the responsibility of carrying out the orders of the one who sent him. They are to say and to do exactly what the one who sent them told them to say and do. No more and no less. Now, go back, if you will, to Romans 1 and verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Let's look at that latter phrase there, separated unto the gospel of God. Paul's separation unto the gospel of God carries a far deeper meaning than any of us realize. There are certain callings that require um, a special separation In order to fulfill that calling, Paul was separated from all mankind to such an extent that there's no record that Paul was ever even married. He did not have that privilege. Um, Last week we took a look at how Paul separated himself for three years and he went into Arabia. And it was there that the Lord gave him the meaning of the new covenant. But can you imagine if Paul had been married, and imagine if there had been children involved, the strain that that would put on a marriage, and he having to felt that urge of the Spirit to get away and to go into Arabia for three years while God gave him the meaning of the new covenant, can you imagine the strain that would put on a marriage? I mean, how, how are you going to support your family? So Paul's calling was, was special, and he was separated from all mankind unto the gospel of God. Separation. As a minister of the gospel, and I'm talking about preachers now, there is separation That has to be there. A wall, if you will, has to be put up between the preacher and the congregation. The preacher's always been put up on a pedestal as being the one who sets the example. And that wall has to be there, I think. If you get to know your preacher too much, after a while you're going to find out that he's just as human as you are. You're going to find out that your preacher has faults, that things can get under his skin, and after a while you'll lose respect. So the preacher's not trying to hide anything, but that wall has to be there. There has to be separation. That's why I don't go to your house and eat with you on Sunday. That's why I don't invite you to come and eat with me. That's why I don't go fishing or hunting with none of you. Nothing wrong with fishing and hunting. But I'm not your buddy. Understand that. I'm your pastor. And I have to keep up a wall of separation there so that I will keep your respect so that the message that comes forth uh, will be effective, if you can understand what I'm saying. Now, there comes a point in time when a preacher's been in a place long enough, and the people have learned him, and he has learned them. Uh, he's not as effective as he once was. At that point in time, the Lord may tell him to move on, and someone new will come in, and whatever the case... But that wall of separation is not there uh, because the preacher's trying to hide anything. But understand that in order to be a minister of the gospel, we are called to be separate. Separate from the world. The apostle Paul didn't have any hobbies. He didn't go to ball games and that sort of thing. He was separated. I don't think any of us can understand what was asked of this man to do separated from all mankind. He didn't even have a wife. Now, I love Dana. I don't know what in the world I'd do without her, to be honest with you. Um, She's the greatest thing that ever happened to me outside the Lord saving me. But the Apostle Paul did not have that privilege. He did not have someone that he could go to and bounce things off of. He didn't have someone he could talk to and, and, and get their thoughts and whatever the case. It was just him and God. And it was to Paul that the Lord revealed the meaning of the new covenant. And we have it here in the book of Romans. He outlines it here for us. The book of Romans pulls together the Old Testament, all that has come before, and combines it with all that will follow after, the New Testament. He combines the Old Testament and the New Testament, and he explains it. And as we stated uh, a few weeks ago, if you understand the book of Romans, then you've got a basic understanding of the Bible. Because like I said, he reaches back into the Old Testament, and he brings it up to speed, and 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 ties, if you will, all of it together. Now let me give you a basic outline of the book of Romans. Chapter 1, we have the introduction, and Paul deals with the Gentile world. That's chapter 1. Chapters 2 and 3, he deals with the Jewish world, Israel. Chapters 4 and 5 is dealing with justification by faith. Chapter 6 deals with the sin nature. Chapter 7 deals with the flesh. Chapter 8 deals with how the Holy Spirit works within the hearts and lives of the believer. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 is a warning to the church That if we go the same way that Israel did, then we will be cut off exactly as Israel was. And then the remainder of the book of Romans uh, deals with practical aspects of Christianity. Now, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Now, what is the gospel of God? of God. Well, the word gospel means a good message or the good news. And it concerns if you will look at verse 3 of Romans chapter 1, It concerns his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The gospel of God concerns Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did. He is the son of God. Who became a man, made of the seed of David. That's who he is. He's not the big boy in the sky, the man upstairs. He is God, the Son of God, manifest in the flesh, made. Of the seed of David. The resurrection from the dead, if you'll notice there in verse 4, the latter part of verse 4. The resurrection from the dead speaks of what he did at Calvary's cross. That's what he did. This is the gospel of God. Who Jesus is and what he did. Now, in verse 2, Romans 1 and verse 2, it says, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Paul is quick to take it back to the Word of God. He didn't just pull all of this out of the air. Now, there were some Jews who were opposed to Paul's message. They were saying it was new, it did not have any foundation at all and it was opposed uh, to the old covenant. But what Paul is saying here is that the gospel of God is not something new. It has its roots in the holy scriptures. It's in the old testament. And everything that we preach, everything that we teach must come from the word of God. If it does not have its foundation in the word of God it's best for us to just leave it alone. and and understanding. Paul takes it right back uh, to the Word of God. The Holy Scriptures were written by men, prophets of old, but it was as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved upon those men of old, and they wrote down exactly what God wanted them to write down. The Holy Spirit searched through their vocabulary and chose the exact word of what he wanted said. Now, I want you to to think about that. The Holy Spirit, as these men were writing the word of God, searched through their vocabulary and chose the exact word of what he wanted said. Jesus said in Matthew 4 and verse 4, when he was tempted of the devil in the wilderness, Matthew 4 verse 4, he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Every word. That's why I've told you before, there's a lot of different versions of the Bible out today, and they're thought-for-thought translations, paraphrases, that sort of thing. The King James Version is a word-for-word translation out of the original Greek and Hebrew language. It's about as close to the original text as you're going to get. And whenever you're studying, it's best to take whatever you're studying. If you're using a new international version or the English version or whatever version you're reading, it's good to have your King James and to take it back to the King James because the King James is word for word, um, about as close as word to word out of the mouth of God as you're going to get in our English language. The Gospel of God was the promise of the Old Testament. Immediately after the fall in the Garden of Eden, God promised a Redeemer. God later called Abraham and said it was through his seed that the families of the earth would be blessed. It was to his grandson Jacob that the Lord said that it would be through the tribe of Judah that the Redeemer would come. Later on, years later, um, it was to David, who was of the tribe of Judah, that the Lord said that it was through his family that the Redeemer would come. And in Romans 1 and verse 3, taking it back, "...concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh." So Paul takes it right back to the Scriptures, takes it back to the Old Testament. Uh, like I said, because there were Jews who were saying that what he was talking about was brand new. It didn't line up with the Old Testament. And what he's saying is, hey, look, what I'm telling you is an extension of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was a foreshadow of, of Christ. And now Christ has come, and, and here is the proof. He is uh, the seed of David according to the flesh. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.